Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to another episode of Renault Reality with Mitch and Mark. It would be a reality Renault with Mitch and Mark. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> Welcome to another episode, an exciting one of Reality Renault with Mitch and Mark. You sound all very kind of, there's something secret going on. No, I'm excited, Mike. We've been back in the world this week. We've been down to, I went to Canberra one day and then we went to Melbourne and went to that amazing exhibit at the NVG. Yes, but it was the NGV. NGV. National Gallery of Victoria. We were invited to go down to the opening of an exhibition called Queer, which actually looks at artworks through history that, um, I guess, celebrate or acknowledge same-sex attraction or gender diversity, sexuality. It's really, really interesting. One of the things I loved in it, from a fashion perspective, of course, is it's got the Yves Saint Laurent original women's tuxedo suit that he did in 1966, I think. And apparently when he released it, it they only sold like one of those suits. People was- then couldn't get their heads around it. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun and people dressed up. It was crazy, Mark. It was fun. But we also went to the um, Melbourne Fashion Week to the Gentlemen's Quarterly GQ Parade. GQ, Men's and, Parade. And we sat in the front row of the parade and I thought to myself, I feel like those people that you see, like when they, when they used to have it on Sex and the City in the front row, I felt like we were those special but people. Somehow, yeah. It was, a, it was a heap of fun. It was a heap of fun. Fortunately, we were supposed to only be down there for one night. We're literally going to fly in at four o'clock and fly out the next day. So we stayed on for a day and thank God we had a backup shirt or two. Yes. <laughs> we would have had nothing to wear. But one of the highlights for our week was when we got invited to go into the broadcast of the Australian, Australian Red Cross uh, Flood Appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, Australian Red Cross Flood Appeal, which was... Um, the three major networks, 10, 9 and 7 combined mm-hmm. to come together and we were on the phones taking calls and collectively there was almost $26 million yeah. raised. Which it's, is- it's so, so good. Australians were so generous on that night. We were pri- privileged to be on the phones but you know, there were the, the other volunteers who knew exactly what they were doing. I felt a little bit like, oh, my God, I'm not as good as you guys. But we managed to get through. And thank you to everyone who called in and everyone who's donated. If it's $5, $10, $1,000. There was one guy that called through, or guy or girl called through and um, donated a million dollars. Yeah. It was incredible. But And people were saying, I've only got $5 to donate, which I got a lot of that. And it's like, seriously? Every five dollars counts, and it's not just the, the the dollar value. It's also the fact that we we as a nation came together. Whatever we could put in, yep. it was it was really cool. It, it was wonderful. It was the spirit, the Australian spirit. And speaking of that, the guest that we have on our podcast today, I think, really embodies elements of that Australian spirit. And, you know, has been in the limelight for sport. We, we are a sporting nation. We love people who excel at sport, and she is a swimmer. And And has seen the highs and lows of that because Australians also, you know, we can be very unforgiving if we think somebody's not performed how they should. So, you know, compassion is so important. And this this young woman 
is a delight. Absolutely. And and look, when you talk about the swimming mark, this this lady has achieved some greatness in swimming that, that very few, very, very few. few swimmers ever achieved. Only two other people. Two other people, two other women. Two other Australian women. Have yep. achieved. Um, and our guest today, you if you don't know this name, you should know this name as a proud Aussie, is Emily Seabom. And uh, I think you're going to love this talk. She's just a delight and some really interesting insights in her career and how she approached some challenges. I have great pleasure in introducing our special guest today, someone who you might be very familiar with from the um, sporting slash swimming world, the incredible enduring, enduring, is that the right word? Enduring endurance, resilient, resilient, sparkling, enduring. all of those words to describe this. Emily Seabom, welcome, Emily. Hey, Hi, Emily. thank you for having me. Thank we you for are being here. so excited because your achievements are incredible. And it's interesting to find out a little bit about that. But most recently, people saw you on I'm a Celeb as well. So we get to see yeah. kind of that rounded part of who Emily Seabom is. And we met. Um, through a sliding doors moment at, um, was it 9 to 5, the premiere of 9 no, to 5? No, we met at, remember, we met at um, The Girl from the North Country, that musical. Oh. No, it was, God, it was the Alanis Morissette concert. Oh, it was Jagged Little Pill. Wasn't, yes, wasn't, wasn't it great? It was so good. I loved it. Yes. Do you remember that second act, that young woman's number, the place erupted and stood and cheered for this young woman? Yes, that girl is actually Kim from, you know, Kath and Kim? It's her daughter, Gina Riley. Oh, yeah, Gina. I keep trying to, well, you know, somebody told me that and I couldn't remember who it was, but yes, Gina Riley's daughter. She's, for anyone listening, if you're in Melbourne and Jack Little Pill is on, you must go and see it. And if it's coming to your town in Adelaide or Perth or Brisbane, what do you think, Emily? It's a must-see. A hundred percent. You just got hit by the amazing performance that was happening in front of you. Like, I got goosebumps while I was sitting there listening to that. I was like, wow, this is empowering. Well, I must say, speaking of watching an amazing performance and getting goosebumps, seriously, you have provided so many, many goosebump moments with your amazing performances in the pool. Like, Yeah, so, you know, interesting segue, you must have had times, like that young performer, you must have had times where you stood and people are cheering and you have goosebumps. Why? How does that feel? Most of us never feel that. I don't know. I mean, I guess I take it back to when I was 16 in Beijing and I made the relay team, which was with Liesl Jones, Libby Trickett, and Jessica Shipper, like legends. Yeah. Of like form. when you say those names, it's wow. legends. It's, yeah, it's crazy, right? And I was 16. I was still at school. I was just freshly turned 16, the youngest person on that Australian team, the Olympic team. And we, you know, we raced in the 4 by one medley relay. We won, we broke the world record, you know, you're standing on the podium, you're singing the national anthem, and it's just like, you kind of have to pinch yourself and be like, did that just happen? Yeah. It's an out-of-body experience. How yeah. many people get, one, an Olympic gold medal, two, you're swimming with legendary swimmers, and you are a legendary swimmer, and you break a world record? Yeah. It's like, how do you process yeah. that? I don't think 
you do at 16, you're just like, oh, wow, I'm so bloody cool right now. <laughs> Was it a bit like, I'm so cool? Yeah. Yeah, I felt like, I don't know, I felt like the cool kid. I was like, wow, this is what it must feel like to be the cool kid at school. But then Olympics after Olympics, you did it again. Did you ever stop pinching yourself or did did it feel normal or did you expect it? I don't think it ever feels normal because you go in there and you know what you want. You have a goal and you want to achieve that, but you can't control what's happening around you. You can't control what other people are doing. You have no idea how people are swimming, if they're going to swim fast, if you're going to swim fast. So you kind of always have a goal, but you never know if that goal is going to be achieved. You just can't control what happens around you. So I feel like every time I got up there, I just felt really blessed. I just felt like, wow, this is amazing. I'm still here. This is awesome. This doesn't happen all the time. And I think after Rio and not swimming so well in Rio and then coming back and winning the bronze medal in Tokyo, it was kind of like, okay, I actually realized that it doesn't happen a lot and you've uh, really got to relish what the opportunity that you have standing on that podium because, you know, you never know when that's going to happen again. It's not guaranteed ever. And isn't it amazing the way you say after Rio not swimming so well, you still swam frigging amazingly, You're still at but some of them swam better. Yeah, correct. I mean, I for me, I was coming off being world number one the year before. So when you kind of go in world number one into an Olympics, that's a whole different experience. And I think I came away with, I think, seven all up in the 100 backstroke, which is, I know, is still amazing. Like you're making it to the Olympics, you're coming seventh, but it's not what you dream for and it's not what you train for. And I think, you know, it gives you an appreciation to be like, when I get back up there, I'm going to work so hard to get there. And then when you get to enjoy that moment, it's like, wow, I, I deserve this. I worked so hard for this. How did you, how do you regain yourself? What, what, if you had to say to somebody else, this is how I regained who I was and got the value in my achievements after that. I think for me, it was kind of something that I needed. I needed, I guess, I've always been not lucky, but I've always worked really hard. And sometimes you can get complacent in working hard and you don't want to change things up because A, it's working for you and you don't think you need to do anything different. But sometimes when you get a setback like that or you don't perform how you think you could, it gives you a bit of a shake-up to be like, okay, I need to do something different because this now isn't working for me. And there's only so long you can do the same thing and the same thing and the same thing and expect a different result. You're going to get the same result, right? So for me, it was like a really good opportunity to be like, okay, what can I add into my program that's going to make that little bit of a difference? Like we're talking about, like a split second we're talking about 0.10 of a second 0.2 of a second we're talking about a snap of the finger that's that's all I need to make up so it's not talking massive amounts but it's like how can you find that and do something a little bit different to get that little bit extra so yeah for me it was an opportunity to change and grow and I think being in the sport for so long I was 14 when I first made the Australian team and now I'm 29 it's like you can't do what you were doing at 14 and expect to do the same thing at 29 and you know when I was 14 PBs came really easy because I was so young and I was just having fun and then 
you kind of move to when you're in your late 20s and it's not as easy to do a PB or it doesn't come as often and you can't take that as as negative feedback because you're not trying to get to that point every time. You're trying to slowly work your way back to that. Well, with 53 medals on the world stage, seven of which the Olympic ones, which we most most of us know about, but 53 world stage medals. What do you do with all those things? Look, I won't lie to you. They are out at my mom and dad's house. <laughs> it's, like a it's like a shrine. It's like I've died or something. And they just put everything up on the walls and just everywhere. But they do have three dogs, so there is security there. Yeah. <laughs> alarm us if someone was trying to take them but yeah I'm not much of a show-off so I don't I really don't look at them and it's funny that when I need them for an appearance or I take them to a clinic or something I'm like oh wow these are really cool like gives me an opportunity to look at them because otherwise I don't it's not really I don't know I don't do it for the medals I do it uh for the love of it I've always been super competitive I've got three brothers so everything in my oh, life three brothers yeah, a race for everything, a race to finish dinner, a race to get on the internet, a race to, you know, pick up the phone first, whatever it might be, it's always been a race for me. So it's just how I live. So you were born to be successful? I was born to be competitive. I don't know if I was, I don't know if I was born to be successful. I think that comes from dedication and determination. And I think at a point I realized that the work was the most important part and the racing was kind of second to the work. The beginning I always thought racing was the most important part, but unless you're going to do the training, you can't get out there and do the racing well. So your focus was get that training done, the work, the work, the work, and the, the racing yeah. was just the what cream on the cake. It just happened because you did all the work. Yeah, exactly. So... You know, I I guess if I compare it to being in a job, it'd be like preparing for a big speech or preparing for a, a big case, whatever it might be. You've got to prepare for that because you can't just go into that and hope that it's all going to happen because you've done a few before. Mm. You've got to actually do the work so you know what you're doing when you get out there. Emily, you said something earlier which I thought was really interesting when you said standing on the podium that first time is the youngest um, you were the youngest swimmer on the Olympic team? I was the youngest athlete, athlete. on that Australian team. So yeah. that's amazing, the youngest athlete. And you were standing and you said, oh, wow, I, it's so cool. It's like I'm now one of the cool kids. Did you ever yeah. feel like you were a cool kid or did you always feel like you weren't a cool kid? Look, growing up I had glasses, braces. Oh. I was like abnormally tall for my age so I was always like the tallest kid you know back row for you yeah. in the photos you know I never got to be the cute little kid that sits their little hands on their lap for the photos I was the kid standing in the back like the tallest one there so I never felt really felt like a cool kid because of that I don't know like I just didn't feel like I found my place until I found swimming and I found somewhere where I could be like okay like I'm pretty good at this well, you are one of the cool kids now, just a heads up. But <laughs> Maybe, maybe I'm not. <laughs> but, but the training uh, is so intense and I did read that you said that for your kids that, yeah. that, you, that you intend on doing one day, but you said you wouldn't necessarily want them to get into swimming. I think it, it's really hard 
for me because obviously I want them to know how to swim. I want to share my passion with them. But I think if I was to push them into swimming, I don't want them to feel like they have a certain level that they got to live up to. And if they don't reach that, then they're unsuccessful. That's just what I did. You know, they might not be amazing swimmers and that's okay. Their sport might be something else. They might not even be into sport. They might want to do something completely different. And I don't want them to feel like they have to live up to this certain level that's really what a couple of percent of the world is is able to do and it's only because you know I found my passion really early in life and I think everyone has that different skill sets and I just think I want them to be able to pick what they want to do I don't want to have to push them mm-hmm. into swimming because that's what I did listening to you talk about them it's just like it's a given that they, that this is going to be part of your life no I love kids uh I taught learn to swim as as I was training as well. So I love kids. I want to have kids. I don't know if you guys know, but I have endometriosis, so I know that could be quite difficult for me. So, yeah, I mean, it's just something that I'm going to have to deal with when that time comes about. Another challenge. Just another stepping stone in life, right? We all have our challenges we've got to go through. I'm interested, Emily, one thing I'm really curious about, because watching swimming and growing up, you know, I remember – as Australians, we adore our swimmers and watching the Olympics. And there's a lot of pressure on swimmers for both of those things. Swimming is so much at, at the heart, I think, of Australians' love of sport. But I yeah. will often watch, and, you know, I, I can swim, but no, not that good. You're not, I'm all you're right. Quite, I think you're quite good. You're quite yeah, good. No, no, right. yeah. I couldn't, I can't backstroke. I can't even conceive of how you can do backstroke and, and be at that level. But often you see swimmers you know, at that elite level, and it's like they're in a zone. There's just, it just flows. Is that a feeling that you get when you're swimming? Does time stand still? Like, what does that feel like? I think for me personally, we prepare as if, you know, heading into a meet, we kind of start going down in our case. So instead of doing 6K, we might slowly go down 5K, then 4K, and then just before racing, we kind of only do little bits of work. So we're, we're really fresh for when we go out there. So sometimes racing can feel completely different. Sometimes you can hit a peak, like a really good peak, and know you're in the zone. Sometimes you can be just a little bit off and you can feel heavy in the water or you can feel really slow. It, it really depends. But, yeah, it's totally different. I think, you know, you always – to feel really good before racing but sometimes you might not feel that good and it's a matter of kind of switching on your brain to be like it doesn't matter at this point you've done all the work at this point it's just about going out there and doing it and if you're telling yourself oh I'm not feeling good I'm not feeling good then you really start believing that whereas if you can tell yourself oh I'm feeling really good even though you might not be feeling 100 Mm percent you're kind of convincing yourself before you go out there that you feel mm. all right. And whatever shit's going on in your life, you can just you you have the capacity to just turn that off, and that doesn't exist in that moment when you're about to dive in the pool. That's gone. Yeah, when you're out there, you you really don't you can't think of anything. Almost, you're kind of just like blank, and you're just staring at your lane, and you're like, okay, this is what I've got to do. 
you basically get in there, you don't think. And then maybe when you start swimming a bit, sometimes I start thinking. Most of the time I'm singing in my head. It's not really <laughs> helpful at me whatsoever. But anyway. Are you so in an Olympic final, like your head, because it, it's so quick, obviously, you're singing yeah. along as you're going. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes. Normally there's a camera on the roof that's kind of like one of those spider cams so it moves along and can go side to side. So normally, because we swim backstroke, we can see it. So if it's in front of you, you're slow. If it's, you know, dead on to you, you're pretty much in the pack. So you can kind of work out where you are. Oh, the camera gives you a sign of where you are. It does, yeah. It's pretty handy. So it tells you to pull your finger out and and push harder if you need to. (laughs) Do you have a favourite song? Uh, look, it's probably something that I've heard that day, but I love Taylor Swift, so it's usually Taylor Swift. Ah, Taylor Swift is part of the success of Emily Seabom, see? Correct, yeah. What does it feel like to know you're one of only, what is it, three swimmers who've ever been to four Olympics? There's Liesl Jones, is that right? You and I don't recall, I was trying to find the Kate Campbell. Kate Campbell, yes, of course. What an elite group and women to do that. Australian women are so strong. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty easy when you start at 16. Like it's impossible to go that far. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think about that, how much time that's been. We think about, you know, each Olympic cycle is four years, so doing four of them is a a really long time. Don't tell me how long it is. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, like. I guess I set my sights on doing four. That's what I wanted to do when I kind of first started making the team. And when I made my first Olympics, it was pretty possible that I could go to four and still be, you know, kind of in the prime of my life. So, yeah, I mean, it it was just something that I wanted to do. It was a goal that I set. And when I saw Liesl did it, I was like, okay, well, this gives me the opportunity and the chance to believe that I can do it too. How many have done five? No Australians yet. Do you, mm-hmm. do, you, do you think we might see one? Maybe. Maybe. I haven't, I haven't said no to anything. That's my thing. I just don't say no. We, could, we, we can meet you in Paris. There's a great falafel bar in Paris. We'll meet you there. Okay. After, after the finals. After the swimming, of course. After yeah. the swimming, yeah. There's a few other bars we'll take after the swimming to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> but, Perfect. you know, when you're saying that was possible because you started at 16, of course, in terms of time, yes, it is possible. But in terms of physical strength and resilience and mental strength and resilience, it's not. Yeah. It takes a lot. You, from well, you started swimming, how old when you started swimming? I made my first Australian junior team at 11 and I made my first senior team at 14. And yeah, 14. Been yeah. So your life, if I, I, I assume I look and go, your life is swimming has been swimming. There's a whole bubble and it's an elite swimming. What's it like to transition or to think about transitioning, if I can use the term, back to normal life, whatever normal is? I'm kind of working that out. This That's what this year is for me. This year is basically working out where I want to go after swimming if I choose to retire now or I, I, you know, I swim on to the next Olympics and then retire. I need to know where I want to go. I've never not been swimming I've swum every year since making the team so it's kind of you know this is my year to work out what I like what I don't like what I want to go to what I don't want to work in 
you know, it's basically saying yes to everything so I know which direction I want to go in. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And having just done I'm a Celebrity... When you look at your career, it's such a minimal part of your career. But how does that change you now doing that? And how does it change people's reaction to you? You know, doing reality TV, people all of a sudden seem to know who you are, but they already should have known who you were. Did it change? It's funny that I get recognised more for being on I'm a Celebrity than being a four-time Olympian. People always come up to me and be like, oh, you're on that show uh, in the jungle, and I'm like, yeah. But, I, you know, like I... But by the way... Like, well, I was doing way longer than I was on this TV show for, but that show gave me the opportunity to open up to people for people to know more about me, more about my personality than just being that swimmer. And that was my whole driving force in doing that show was to, to show people more of myself want people to understand me more, for people to see my personality and really resonate with some points that they might like about me. You know, obviously there's things people don't like about me, but it's whatever, right? Because it's just it's just who I am and I, I love who I am and I just wanted people to to find out more about me. And and, and people definitely did because you were brave and I think it's brave to talk about the eating disorder that you dealt with because your charity was NED, which I think is is local to where you live. It's a local charity. Could yeah, you? so it was actually NED, which is the charity I chose for I'm a Celeb, uh, which is kind of, they call it the House of Hope. So it's a place where people can go, whether it's, you know, you personally struggling with an eating disorder, whether it's family or friends, to get support. They have support groups there. They really have lots of, information and lots of places that you can go to and and people to talk to which is really lovely but it happened to be a girl that I went to school with parents who started the foundation so when I opened up about my eating disorder they reached out to me so I was like wow it's kind of nice that I know someone in a charity and that I can actually try and really help and and bring that charity kind of more light because it is just a very small charity on the Sunshine Coast, which is very close to where I was living in Brisbane. And when you came out publicly talking about an eating dis- disorder, did you find that there were so many other people around you that had also suffered from the same type of disorder that that's kind of not spoken about? It's swept under the carpet? Yeah. yeah. So when I first opened up about it on my Instagram, I received so many messages so many comments on my photo of people that were struggling I get emails still from families that are looking for places for support and I you know send them to end ed where they can get that support that they need so it's really good for me to be able to keep sharing my story for people to understand it more for people to maybe resonate with it and then they can understand that you know what 
anyone can get this. It's not just, you know, an elite athlete that's getting this. It's, you know, normal people struggle with it too. So if they can feel more comfortable in, in talking to someone because I'm doing it on TV or wherever it might be, the platform that I'm using, then it's important for people to read that story, understand it, and then maybe they can help other people getting support. It's kind of a bit like coming out, isn't it? Like, well, you said that when you said when you came out. It is coming out. Idiots. Yeah, You're yeah. sharing something very personal about yourself in a public stage because you've been a public figure for so long, basically, since yeah. 14 being on your first national team. I'm curious, what were the thoughts in your head that impacted or influenced the eating disorder at the time? Like, what, what were you saying to yourself? It wasn't so much me telling myself anything to begin with. It was comments from other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was, you know, a comment from the coach that I was training with at the time saying the only way you're going to swim faster is to lose weight or be at this specific weight. And then that kind of started my snowball in my own head of, okay, this doesn't look right at what I'm looking at right now. I need to look different than this and then it was kind of like just you know the negative self-talk where it's like you don't look good enough you're never going to achieve what you want because you're not the weight that you should be and then it was weighing in constantly and then being angry at myself with whatever I saw because that was never good enough so it's kind of like for me to be okay I need to be different to this this is not okay who I am is not all right and I have to change that yeah correct yeah and I think you know, when you start getting weighed in in front of boys at the pool and you get, you know, completely like different measures, we were getting skin folds, which is, I don't know if you ever, ever know that, it's like pulling your skin and then mm-hmm. they measure how much skin is there and they were doing that on pool deck. Um, and it was just a lot of stuff all the time and it just got to a point where it was like I can't control what my thoughts in my head anymore because they're just all the time. They were spiraling, spiraling out of control. Why were they weighing and measuring in public in front of people? Uh, They just, you know, they didn't see a problem with it and I guess no one was willing to be like, oh, this is, I don't like this. That's not okay. And you're young women. I mean, young people going through that kind of, puberty through that era are conscious enough about their bodies but you're being weighed in your swim togs i'm figuring in front of other people and it's being a measure about whether it's good enough it's like no wonder those thoughts get created and go through your head and the reason i'm interested i guess in is there are so many people and many people that might be listening to this where they're trying to control and manage negative thoughts because often we're driven by we want to be loved, we want to be acknowledged, we want to be mainly it's be loved and and supported and a lot of people have similar things. If only I was different, it would be better. If only what? But how did you break that cycle? How did you go, That's those thoughts are not real? I guess it wasn't until I actually started asking for help that I could realise what I was doing to myself was, mistreating myself and I went and spoke to a dietitian and said this is what's happening this is where I need to be and I'm not getting there and she's she's just like okay let's just let me ask you questions about yourself like when was the last time you had a period and I was like well it's 
probably been like a year and a half and she's like, well, that's kind of, that's not okay. And she explained to me this, what I was putting my body through. My body was trying to shut down things that it couldn't use because it didn't have enough energy to be able to work everything at once. So when you start being like, okay, um, by doing that, your bones can get really weak from not eating enough so you could break your bones really easily. So I had to have all these bone tests. I had to have blood tests because, you know, if you're not eating properly, if you're not eating red meat, you lose iron, which creates fatigue and tiredness in your body. And it's just, yeah, it was a snowball effect that I had no idea because I didn't care about that. I cared about getting to this certain point. I didn't care about my health as such. I just wanted to get to that point and be like, oh, I did it. I've that done became the, the sacrifice for I got there and I got the weight or the skin fold measure you wanted because my goal is to be at the next Olympics or the next. So this is all yes. while you're swimming at elite level. Yes. Wow. So we're watching you and people are celebrating what you're doing and you had some lows in there and all the time yeah. you're trying to manage this in your head and you're 18 or 19. I was, uh, God, how old was I? This was 2018. Yeah, it was more recent. Yeah, I think I was about 25. Wow, I really get angry about it because I'm like, I should have known better at that stage of my life. Like, I'm a woman. I should not be, you know, at first I was angry about the comments. I was pissed off. And Mm. then I started believing them. I was Mm. like, okay, well, maybe they're right here. But I should have stayed in that state where I was like, why is a man telling me that I have to be a certain weight? How does he know that at that weight I'm going to swim well? He has no idea. He's just throwing something out there because he he might have not had anything else for me. He he didn't know where to go to and he was just like, well, this is just a different option we haven't done before. But it was also on the back of a a very public um, breakup. So, So you're at a vulnerable point in life so yeah. if someone's going to mm-hmm. tell you you'll be better if you do this this there was probably a whole lot of stuff going on in your head can, that you're a, like a, a victim it's true can i ask you imagine then why is this man telling me if i'll do that i'll be better do you think there's any gender issue in that was it men men who were influencing well, that? I'm, well it was a male coach it was okay. male people taking all our measurements so it doesn't obviously make it easy trying to talk yeah. to a male about it. And, yeah, he wasn't really taking on board the things he was saying, like, you know, telling me to eat a banana less a day, putting up how many calories were in a banana. Like yeah. that's quite triggering. Yeah. Um, obviously at that time I wasn't really – fully developed into stuff but that kind of made me snowball because then I started looking at calories and things and being like I can't eat that and we're talking about a banana a banana that has so many nutrients in it we're talking about dropping a banana out of my diet a day and then you know one of the other comments was why don't I look like another girl and she was 12 oh sorry she was 12 yeah. You're 25, and why don't you yeah, why, physically look why like her? I look like that. Yes. That's outrageous. She's not developed, for one. So it's stuff like that where I was like, why didn't oh, I Emma. fight back on that? But it was like this was someone that I believed in their methods, 
that that coaching has got me to some amazing levels. Yes. You know, it's someone that I believed in and I guess, yeah, that's where I went wrong. I believed for maybe too long and I believed in the wrong thing. Maybe, but, you know, it's interesting you're saying feeling angry at yourself. Um, You believe you had achieved so much there was no reason not to believe. And, yeah, you know, there's a point where compassion is so important and compassion towards yourself is important. You've achieved yeah. so much. As I'm listening to you, I, I just thought, think how many other young women in that industry, I'll call it the industry of Olympic swimming, could benefit from you as a role model. Like you have a lot to share and not just your swimming achievements but your emotional resilience and your mental journey. Imagine a young woman now at 14 starting in her career having you as her, and I'm not thinking swim coach, as her personal coach. Yeah. That would be a gift for somebody. And the other thing I guess I think about when you talk about anger, and I've often talked to people about that in my career, and we've seen it with, you know, gay people going through the coming out process. Anger is actually good what you do with it to motivate you. Some people use it to motivate different success, but, you know, sometimes it's like it's okay to go, actually, that was not okay. Yeah. And compassion to yourself about you managed that journey the best you could to achieve incredible things. Yeah. And you now have all of those gifts as you transition to the new life. The new life? It's like the new 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 world. No, it is. It's (laughs) like this new... Emily, look at all these abilities that you have. You've talked about goal setting. You've talked about that emotional resilience. You've talked about the internal thinking and how you make that positive, about preparation and all the preparation. That means when you get to that final swim meet or final presentation, you're on board, you know what you're doing. These are all amazing things. You you talked earlier, which I think is really interesting, is about control, what you can control and what you can't control. And for a lot of people, they need to hear that. Because a lot of us, you know, we get anxiety about things that we haven't understood we don't control and being able to make the distinction. And you've had to learn that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I used to get anxiety all the time when I raced because I was always thinking about the outcome before I was even in the pool. So Mm -hmm. you've got to take a step back and just get in there and swim in your own lane. You're in your own lane. You can't touch anyone. No one else can touch you, but you can't control what happens around you either. I think it's a great metaphor for people's, for many people in life. It's like they're in their own lane. Emily, it'd be interesting, you know, now you're, you're 29. If you went back and talked to Emily at 16, is there something you would say to her that you think would make a difference? It's, I get that this question a fair bit but I wish that 16 year old Emily could come back and tell 29 year old Emily to just enjoy herself because Uh. at at a point swimming became my income became my job and my job relied on me doing well and if I didn't do well then I didn't make any money Mm -hmm. but at 16 I didn't care about that that's I didn't think about those things but you know when you reach a certain age you you buy your own house or buy your own apartment you've got to think about rent food you've got to cook food you've got to you know have a car to drive to training petrol all those things start coming in and then you start overwhelming yourself but if I went back to when I was 16 I would just be relaxed 
because I didn't have to worry about anything else. I just had to do what I knew what I was doing because I loved it. But it's also, is it true, Emily, that I hear that, that swimmers, elite swimmers, um, make very little money unless they supplement it with outside work, which just seems, if yeah. it's true, that seems amazing because we hold our Olympic athletes and swimmers in particular in such high regard on such a pedestal, yet payment is poor. Yeah, I spoke on this on I'm a Sleb. Uh, our swimming contract are 30 or 35. I think they've just gone up this year to 50 for the first time. So that's our swimming contract to make the team and that's top level of making the team. So that's one to eight in the world. You've got to be in that one to eight time in the world to get that, that money. So, so you have to be – so a swimmer – has to be in the top eight in terms of their time in that year, their swim yeah. time, to get yeah. a contract that's fifty thousand dollars. Yes, yes, you have to you have to swim that time every year too. Every year, you know what cracks me up when I listen to this, and you know, hopefully this doesn't offend people, but it, it might. How much does the Australian cricket captain get paid? How much do NRL football ballers get paid? And I know there's a whole lot of industry that goes around that, and yeah. I get it. But we're here sitting talking to, you know, one of only three women or athletes that have been to four Olympics that have had that many medals. It's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. How do you, so how do you retain the knowledge and the experience in the swimming industry? Because what you offer and Lisa Jones offers and Kate Campbell and, you know, Ian Thorpe and people back into the, the industry, if we consider it as an industry, is invaluable. Yeah. It's like the CEOs. You would be paid huge amounts of money, yeah. but you're not. So I you mean, have to make yeah. your way now in a different way. Well, for me personally, I always travel overseas and do lots of racing overseas. So I'll spend about six months of a year up, you know, in Europe or wherever it might be doing meets for money. So I'm constantly racing to make my money so I can at least, not have to do another job because when I'm here it's hard to get a job that's going to allow you to come in from let's say 10 a.m to 2 p.m that's all that's all the hours that you can do with around swimming and then you've got to have a job that's going to allow you to travel also for when we travel for an olympic games where we're gone for a month maybe more Mm -hmm. so it's like no one's gonna allow us to do that it's pretty amazing. I'm amazed. I, my brain and having worked in a corporate area just goes, imagine if you had an Emily Seabom or at least Will Jones on your team as part of your staff development programs. You're developing young people, particularly young women, in corporate culture through into leadership. Imagine if part of that is that you have these elite athletes as your coach, your corporate coaches, and what you can teach them about it. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be a huge opportunity. I think Mark's doing an ad here for you. Yeah, I think so. Plug me in. It is, but it's so true. I mean, if anyone's listening, you know, I hope people like Commonwealth Bank or, you know, banking, financial institutions, you have women. We're talking about equity and having more women in corporate settings, more women in leadership roles. We have them already. They're called elite swimmers. Yeah. Use, you know, how... Everything you've learned about your commitment and dedication, you know, the kind of resilience, the emotional resilience you've had to deal with, 
surely someone out there understands. You guys are assets. Anyway, that's enough of my rave, but I think it's so true. You did well. You did really well. I enjoyed that. That's. I'm still in shock about that. So the women in our team, Australian women, have been amazing, and we should be celebrating that. You went through, you know, you went through a shit time too. Where if you don't, it's tall poppy. If you don't succeed, then people go, "Oh, oh, maybe that's not right." But what I love about talking to you is you've been through that. You've regained yourself, and you came back, and you you valued so much your Tokyo experience and it tells you the quality of the person. It tells you you have something that you can share with people about resilience, emotional maturity and strength and that's when I get on my soapbox because I think it's so important. So many people in their lives, you know, and, and through COVID too, we're feeling, people are feeling, it's just been so tough. Like the, the floods, everyone is just feeling so down and we need to just how do we keep that resilience and that hope going? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's hard. It's been a really extremely hard time in everyone's lives and we're just dealing with it the best that we can. And if you can take solace in listening to other people's stories about how they found their way, navigated through it, then that's amazing. That's something we all need. Do you have a certain words of hope or something that you would share with people listening, there are people listening now and some of them who probably are feeling down. What what are your words of hope? I guess the best thing I can say is just, you know, try and smile and laugh at something during that day. Don't go the whole day without being able to enjoy something about it. There's going to be days that are really hard and you either don't want to get out of bed or you don't want to go to work. But if you can try and find a positive in there, whether it's, you know, walking to work and something makes you smile or you hear someone else's conversation, it gives you a bit of a chuckle because it reminds you of something or someone in your life, then that's so important. And I think if you can do that and if you can get through that day, then you've just done something to make yourself feel better. That was such wise words from an old soul, Emily. Yeah. When I first met you and then having you come today, I was very starstruck because to me it's like this is an amazing woman who has achieved so much. It's like, oh, my God, she's like I've watched her swim. I've watched her. She's So I was very starstruck. The more I listen to you, I become more starstruck but more about the quality of who you are as a woman and as a human being has me more starstruck now than those achievements, which are incredible. I was starstruck too, Emily, and that night you were um, wearing a very um, fabulous dress and you had very high heels on. (laughs) And I was starstruck that I was standing there next to you and I thought to myself, oh, my God, her top of her leg in her short dress is next to my shoulder. I just felt like a midget. (laughs) (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) So, Emily. By way of, of for us wrapping up, for you, doing I'm a Celeb, such a different fish-out-of-water experience, is there something yeah. that happened or something you took from that that you didn't expect to get from the experience, something that you went, wow, I didn't expect to learn that about me or somebody else? I think for me it was the fact that I went in there, it was straight after the Olympics, like I was only home about a week after the Olympics. So for me, it was just a great opportunity to be like, okay, 
this is a chance to open up and to really express myself in a different way. And because the Olympics has just happened, it's it's an opportunity for me to be able to think about what's happened, where I want to go with my life, what I see myself doing. And it was an opportunity for me where I felt like I, I grew as a as a person outside of swimming because I was not able to do that and I wasn't able to exercise and, and do the normal stuff that I would do. So it was an opportunity for me for me to just actually relax, not have anything to go to, not have to go work out, not have to eat a certain way. It was just a moment where I got to myself and I was like, oh, wow, like this is who I am without swimming. And did you feel um, under the microscope like of cameras on you pretty much 24-7 on, on that program? How did that feel without any moments to yourself? Every word you said was recorded and... Yeah, well, you kind of forgot about it really because they were all hidden cameras and I I don't know, when I had conversations with people, I wasn't like, oh, wow, i got to be worried about what I'm saying here. I was just kind of enjoying getting to know people and asking questions and really sharing about myself because I was like anything that I share, someone might resonate with that and really enjoy hearing that side of, of being a swimmer or just being my normal Emily self. Emily, we're called reality runner because we often talk to people about property as well, but we get a whole yeah. lot of stories about them, which is sometimes far more interesting. Do you have property goals? Do you enjoy property or is it something that you go, I just want to live somewhere nice and I have to think about it? And do you have a particular design style you like? Okay, this is so hard because I feel like I haven't had an opportunity to find out my personal style with a home yet because I'm not in a home long enough to change things or I mean I live in a house at the moment I've had this house since 2018 and I don't have I think I've only recently just put up one photo of myself in the house and I just like haven't made it my own yet because I I'm not there long enough to be able to start a project and finish it so I think for me uh I would really like to see myself do something I don't I don't think I could design a house because I've you know played the sims a few times and my houses don't work out very well on that game so I'm hoping that some I can talk to someone about the kind of style that I like I like really bright fresh homes I like crisp colors I I don't know if I'm very adventurous when it comes to my house because I just all I think about is Instagram and that's so bad. I want a house where I can be like, you know, anywhere and be like, hey, guys, I'm just in my house and it looks really cool. You want an Instagrammable house. That's what I want. Emily, if there's any consolation, we um, do a bit of filming here at home sometimes and we do posts from home and we've and our, and our home was featured in an article of um, In Woman's what Day at home with Mitch and Mark in their beautiful luxury beachside home at Newport Beach in Sydney. Uh. Right. We had to find a corner of the house focusing on the view, moving in pieces of furniture that, <laughs> and some and decor items that we, that we took out of the shop because our house is so much potential, but quite frankly, currently, it is a house with amazing view but apart from that, it's a shithole. So, <laughs> so Emily, we've been around the world with you on swimming and winning medals all over the place. We've done I'm a, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. 
What is next? Where would you like to see yourself going? And apart from selfishly, I'd like it to be going to Paris for the Olympics, but where, yeah. what's next for you? Look, my ideal dream, my big dream would be to host the show Getaway because oh, wow. I love travel. I have travelled a lot with swimming, but I've never really gotten to see the places that I travel to. So I'm really adventurous. I really love a thrill. So for me, it would be being able to do that show, show my personality and also travel the world. I mean, what would be a better show than that, right? It's a good gig. Or travel guides, Emily Seabom on travel guides. That would be amazing. I was actually right next to the guys on travel guides doing the phone, the Red Cross Australia flood appeal. I was right next to them and they were making good money on the phone. So maybe that's where I need to go. Everyone um, listening, Emily was on the phones on Saturday night. You were in the zone. You were doing really well. Because we were, I, so were you guys. I was back to back with you, and you were getting some great, some great donations. I am um, every donation counts, but I seem to get a lot of the five dollar ones. <laughs> I know you said that, but five dollar after five dollar after Absolutely. five dollar is still something. And I heard people jump up and say. Another $20,000. And I thought, stuff this. And I said, and another $5 from me. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> true. I, wasn't, true, true. I was only getting 50s, but, you know, it was it was so nice to just be there and to have people tell you, oh, this is all I've got to donate. And it's yes. just like, well, it doesn't matter how much you donate because that is just helping everyone else see, oh, this person donated $5. I can do that too. It was wonderful, wasn't it? People who were saying that and would say, it's only $5. No, it's not only. It's $5. And it was also the spirit, yes. Mark, the, the spirit, spirit of Australia. Yeah. The spirit of Australia was amazing. So It was strong. We will be looking forward to seeing you in your next career. Again, if anyone from corporate is listening in here or if somebody who knows somebody from corporate, you need Emily Seabom as your coach for women in leadership, I think. I reckon it would be amazing. Or the EP, executive producer of Getaway, Emily Seabom. Yes. I'm free. I'm available. We'd be great. Or Emily Seabom on the block. I still remember that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, That would be. I'd love to see that. Emily, thank you so much for sharing time with us. It's been, we always say it's delight. It's been amazing and been so insightful for me. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. Likewise, Emily. Thank you. It sounds like you have um, learnt to love yourself, which um, which is so good to hear because you are very worthy of your own love. Thank you. We'll see you at dinner. Yes, we'll see you soon. Mitchy, I found that interview with Emily just so insightful. You could probably tell very passionate about some of the issues that, that she raised. She's intelligent. She's clever. She's delightful. She's got just a wonderful sense of humour. Marky, yeah, I agree. Just, it was just, wow, um, super impressive, Mark. Oh, and I meant it when I said any corporate that needs somebody to help coach young women in leadership roles, these are the people you need. They've performed on a world stage and they've dealt with media scrutiny. We will have our notes, our podcast notes, will have links for Emily and some of the things that she's spoken about. But, Mark, and also I'd say young people. Young people, yes. not just young women, young, young people. people. Um, I think I, I totally agree. Uh, such a beautiful, open uh, young person. And um, it was such a joy to talk to her and hear her journey and also her journey to to get to where she is today, but also in reflecting back mm-hmm. rather than tell her 16-year-old self 
what the 16-year-old self should be doing. She'd rather listen to her 16-year-old self about what she, as an, as an adult, should be doing now. And be ready for it as well. I think the thing I also found, you know, for me concerning is that as a young woman, and I keep saying as a young woman because I think there are differences from a gender perspective, that she's being weighed and fat folds checked in public in front of other people as part of her swimming career um, and, and potentially male coaches. It's like this is... Not okay. Well, Mark, it was the trigger for a, change trigger for an eating disorder. Yeah, it, it has to change. That is not how we treat people. That is not how we should be supporting each other. I couldn't help but think, Mark, when she said, when Emily said that, um, that the coach said you need to lose weight to do better. I, I, there, there might have been truth in that. That that was one of the ways she could improve her swimming if she actually got lighter. But it's a delicate topic. It, like if you but get you lighter, you, you head. Sorry, a twelve-year-old here. You should look like that. A twelve-year-old. Oh, I know. Anyway, that's enough from us. But you know, thank you so much for listening to us this week on Reality Renault. We look forward to having you as guests of ours to listen to our next episode. But also, would love to thank some of the people who've been writing in some great comments and great feedback. Um, there was one from um, Bob and Dolly, um, and they said that it was great to get other insight on our experience on the block. But also, you're saying you can't wait to um, to follow our own renovations. Um, yeah, well, us too. It's it's lingering. We got everything else gets in the way. But thanks for your feedback, guys. It is, Amici. We also had another review from Inspired to Be Better, who said they're loving hearing the different personalities and the back background stories of our guests, and we really like to do that. Is to find out a little more and go a little deeper about them, as well as a little bit about styling and property. We've all got a story to tell and a a story worth sharing, and we love to do that on our podcast. So please um, continue to give us feedback. And remember, you can find this podcast where you get all good podcasts from. Which includes Spotify, iTunes, the Acast app, or there's a whole lot of other places that you might get your podcast from. You can find us there. Thank you for joining us for our chat today with Emily, and we look forward to talking again next week. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 